0: Monsieur Monson French pronunciation Yeah It's not my forte Merson 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 Monsieur Masson Merson 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 Merson
1: Yeah you gotta almost gotta add like a country twang to it Mersan Monsieur
0: Mousson Masson yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 39. In this episode, we are talking about Albert Camus, the stranger.
0: I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy, fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 39. We're getting so close to 40. I know. 40, not not to overlook this episode, because I think this is going to be an interesting episode, but... Just in my mind, imagining, you know, forty forty episodes of this. I mean, yeah. we're it, it's still in my mind. It feels like we started last May, and then I'm thinking, oh wait, no, we started the May before that. Yeah, this is this is we're 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 cruising up on two years, so it's crazy, man. This is it this is. is fun. This is awesome. I love this. Uh, so, episode thirty nine, our second episode in the new digs. I've got to say, again, yeah. atmospherically, it feels it feels right. It feels it like we're in a good setting. Mm-hmm. Especially for a book like this to talk about some really weighty and heavy philosophical issues. But yeah, yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, We're going to tell you a little bit about the author, Albert Camus. I'm going to give you a brief, dirty summary, and then we're just going to get into it. Um, I don't know. We've got a few questions maybe, but I think a lot of today, um, due to the nature of this book, is going to be spent kind of on the meta-philosophical things that maybe we pulled out or things that we kind of had tangentially from that. Um, because spoiler, as you'll you'll find out, the narrative itself is not too complex of a thing to to dive into too much without getting into sort of the ideas around it. And then, of course, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with our patented three tier four if we're locking it in prison five if we're going to you know decapitate it with uh, a guillotine. But uh, our our three tier rating system, and then we'll tell you what we got coming up in episodes future.
1: Yes, so. Now's the part where I say that if you haven't read this book, you should read this book. You should especially read this book if you want a quick read. I was able to do
0: this in a single sitting on a two-hour plane ride. So we we ran the numbers based on page count. This is not our this is not our lowest page count book. This is our second lowest just okay. behind uh Heart of a Dog and just in front of Sense of an Ending. But I gotta say this felt like the shortest book because yes. of the at least we both have the the old school nineteen forty six edition of this book. Yes, and you know just the 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 typeface and the margins in here. This definitely could have been like a hundred and twenty page book. So yeah, really quick read actually.
1: Yeah, it was it was really fast, and I think even compared to uh, Bulgakov and uh, Roth, it was a faster read just because of the style. Um, there wasn't quite as much. Um, like stylistically in the book, yeah. kind of struck me, uh, like very Hemingway esque, uh, in in his brevity in Senate
0: structure. Well, it's interesting that you mention that because I do have something about this book I will get into when we're talking about it that reminded me a little bit about Hemingway. Yeah. Um.
1: So let's let's talk about the author real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll get into our summary. So uh, Albert Camus uh, was. Uh, a French philosopher, author, journalist, he won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1957, uh, and he is the second youngest recipient in history. I don't know who the first would be. Can't even, I can't even venture a guess. Yeah, that's a good trivia question. Not sure. Somebody should tweet tweet that to us. Youngest. Might be willing to buy a book for somebody who's, who's willing to tweet us the answer to that. Uh, but uh, he was born in uh, Algeria to French parents. Um, and lived in a, in a poor neighborhood. Um, and, uh, he was actually in Paris when the Germans invaded during World War II, uh, became involved with the French resistance because he couldn't flee. Uh, and he was the editor, editor in chief of, uh, combat, which was an outlawed newspaper. Um, I think it was related to the French resistance itself. Um, and, uh, he was a bit of a celebrity after the war. Um, he was married twice, uh, had several extramarital affairs uh, that are noted, um, and you know his his views um, politically and more important philosophically uh, were a huge driver in uh, in a lot of his work. He's got uh, half a dozen books or more, uh, some short story collections, some nonfiction collections, um, and you mentioned one of his
0: nonfiction books that you. Read about that was sort of related to that. Uh, yeah, Myth of Sisyphus is apparently a very big sort of philosophical writing for him that was released relatively around the same time as this book. Um, wherein, when we read this, you know, we get kind of a fictional setting in which a lot of his philosophical ideas kind of come out. That is more so just using the the Myth of Sisyphus to kind of explain those philosophical ideas uh, typically around sort of absurdity in general but yeah' he's uh, he's, a, he's an interesting guy um, you know to see that he was kind of like a, f- a philosopher that uh, sort of branched out into into fiction it, it it is interesting to me at least to kind of like combine those two things in a somewhat harmonious way yeah and uh, so he died in
1: uh, 1960 in a, a car crash. And, uh, he was leaving Paris with his, I think it was his publisher at the time. Uh, and, uh, in the, the wreckage, they found, uh, the handwritten manuscript, um, for, uh, the first man, uh, one of his other fictional books that was published, um, posthumously. So, um... Yeah, super, super
0: interesting guy. I also heard, yeah, in, yes. you know, with his tragic death, dying in a car accident, uh, with his publicist going somewhere, I also heard that in his pocket was a train ticket that he was, that he originally had just decided not to go on the train and really for a drive instead. So that's a, a sad, morbid little uh, tidbit there. Yeah, well, I don't know that he would view it that way, but... Uh,
1: just sad, another, sad. just
0: another tidbit of absurdity in in existence, I guess, or absolutely life. All right, summary. Summary. Uh, so a brief, dirty summary. The stranger's story about Monsieur Mercier. Did I get that right? Mercier. 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 I'm not very good at French pronunciation, but uh, oh. represented this character sort of in the midst of his mother's death and his kind of nihilistic views towards life and the people around him in general. It sort of leads to him committing a, a murder, being put on trial for it, and ultimately, you know, being found guilty and executed. Yeah. Which is kind of a surface level of it, but I feel like that's the that's the way that these summaries tend to go before we get into the more nuggety-nuggety philosophical goodness of it. Yes. Okay, so I want to start off with, with a question first. Okay. Who is the stranger? Oh, uh, well, I mean you at at a, at a very sort of surface level you think that the stranger being kind of the the person that he kills right that yeah, is the a era. strange sort of individual that's that's kind of followed him around and followed his sort of companions around to seek revenge for his for his sister uh but obviously after you read the the entirety of the second part of the book it's it's marsau himself cuz he's kind of the Outsider, which originally was, you know, this book has has been titled The Stranger, but it was also The Outsider was another name for the book. And oh. I feel like that's actually a more appropriate title. Um, and it's less ambiguous in a sense that you see that he's kind of an outsider ideologically from this sort of society that he lives in, from just sort of his his companions in general, and just that, the sort of population. and And because of his Disconnect from them; it it leads to this, to to honestly, to the the situation and the verdict that we ultimately get.
1: Yeah, good answer, good answer. That was
0: it. You you don't have a rebut for that?
1: No, I don't. Because I I just I don't know. I I had the same impression. I thought you know, okay, you know, it's going to center on the Arab himself. But then you're right. As as things developed late in the in the novella, you just becomes very apparent that the narrator's place in society is one of ambiguity and, yeah.
0: and... as an outsider. Yeah. So, now, I think it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the brevity in the writing, very Hemingway-esque, because as I'm reading the first, mostly the first section of this book, and we can get into the the sort of difference between the two sections, but as I'm reading most of the first section, I couldn't help but be re- reminded of our protagonist in A Farewell to Arms, which, we, yeah. which yep. was literally our first episode that we did, and just kind of this, like detached but observant and sort of like just very dryly going about sort of their day now granted he wasn't necessarily nihilistic like we get with Mersault. but no. i think that that was i don't know it was interesting not necessarily just the writing style but kind of this characterization of someone that isn't entirely like fully attached into this this lifestyle or into this world that's around him he sort of is kind of a an oddity within that, but sort of maneuvers through it, I guess, well enough to. Because that's the thing, you know. We get we get all these things that are happening, and he's kind of like, you know, he's he's romancing women, and he's enjoying food, and he's, you know, he's despite his sort of lack of any more motivation to to excel at his job you know he has these sort of opportunities in front of him yeah and it's 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 an odd kind of dichotomy with him that it's someone that's seemingly so detached from life around him yet is still kind of like deftly maneuvering through that sort of experience which is which was which was kind of strange
1: yeah and it, it it's kind of strange too because um he doesn't really seem to have established like social and like moral values right right like most of us navigate through our life decisions based on some sort of like inherent uh or explicit code that we have Mm -hmm. agreed on whether that's religion or our understanding of you know laws and 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 order in in country the state the city that we live in uh you know just basic social norms um that we've established, you know, throughout our lives, and and he he sort of eschews all of that, um, and is I think at one point he describes himself as a uh, not a sensationalist, but a uh, but something similar, somebody who sort of lives in the moment and reacts to mm-hmm. like what they feel. Um, but even that to me um, was was sort of interesting because he. As a character, never really seemed to react. You know right. what I mean? Like things just sort of happened. He did things, and then you know the the cycle repeats. Mm-hmm. Um, there there was not much um, introspection on you know his his actions, certainly in the moment, and even like as he's going through the trial. Yeah. Um, one thing that really struck me. Um, as, as odd was his behavior during the trial. Did you have any thoughts about uh, how that progressed and how he described everything?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, his behavior at the trial was interesting compared to, like, the, the whole first section where we kind of have this just sort of cold, callous indifference, and he's not really... Like, he observes people, but he doesn't ever really... He doesn't really empathize. He doesn't no. really... Um, he doesn't really think much beyond just kind of whatever he observes of them, yeah. whether it's uh, his neighbor, whether it's Marie, whether it's just sort of the 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 people that he sees, you know, out of out while he's eating. And then we get to the second section of the trial. I do, I I feel like we do get a little bit more of that because he starts thinking about sort of how the way those people feel about him. Yeah. Um. When he's thinking about Marie, you know, he kind of gets a little bit emotional of that. So it is interesting to see that. I don't know if it's the the seriousness of the incident in itself was kind of lost on him until he got to the trial yeah, or until he was kind of imprisoned for a bit of time to kind of get that feeling of it. But you do see that little shift in him somewhat from, from the first section where you kind of, he starts sort of reflecting more so on this like external view or, or, or not necessarily external view, but these sort of external perspectives. Yeah. And I got, I got to thinking about,
1: about this, this book, Uh, just in its in its totality and um I think the the thing that I struggled with when it when it came to this character is the fact that we encounter him at a point where he has already sort of um begun living this sort of absurdist nihilistic um sort of lifestyle um without ever understanding like how he got there. Right. So, I mean, if you just, if you think logically about people for a second, people typically don't adopt comprehensive worldviews just based on a sort of natural thing. Right. Like we, we might, uh, become religious because our parents are, are religious or we have some sort of, you know, Bad thing happen, or we encounter, you know, a life event or whatever uh, that changes our our worldview. Maybe we take a philosophy class, and you know, we learn about some of these concepts, and you start to absorb different ideas, and you're like, okay, well, these things make sense. But we encounter this character where he seems like very entrenched in a couple of these like overlapping philosophies, mm-hmm. and I found myself very confused about. How he ended up that way, right? Like he mentions his mom was was atheist, and you know, so that takes care of the some of the religious aspects of that uh, of the book. But it's such a uh, a peculiar um, worldview, not not in its like concept, because I I think there you know there are some things to to absurdism and, and nihilism that you know, I, I think are interesting ideas. And I think, you know, you, if you are open to it, I think you can agree that, you know, some of these things, you know, the the universe is absurd, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that we care about things and the universe is completely indifferent to, you know, our suffering, our opinions, you know, our lifestyle. I mean, that's a, that's a very valid, you know, sort of train of thought, but, um, to, have a character that doesn't seem conscientious of his philosophical beliefs, I found
0: really problematic with with this book. Did, did you have any thoughts about, about yeah. that? I mean, it comes down to we don't really get any development into this character right. early on. We're kind of presented this character, and it's more so, all right, here's a situation that can very easily get across who this guy is immediately it's the death of his mother this would typically be like a very emotional time you know he would be sort of grieving and all these and we're not granted that at all he's very kind of just like superficially like it's warm i'm warm in my suit and who is this guy that my mother had apparently as a lover and you know i'm just kind of observing him as an individual and you know not really not really concerned with the customs of people coming in and like shaking his hand and you know giving him well wishes for grieving and things like that and so yeah it is it is odd because we are not really granted a traditional we're not really granted a traditional arc with this character we kind of already start uh in this trough of wherever that has led him from what you would what you would at least assume a your average individual's sort of thought process and just ideals and philosophical beliefs, and then we're kind of, instead of sort of having a little bit of background into that, which I feel was was very much a conscious choice by Camus, because again, I, I think so much of this book is just to kind of give a fictional illumination on absurdist and the sure, absurd sure. man, um, which is a thing that he kind of talks about in some of his philosophical writing. But you know, as a reader, it's tough because we like our characters to evolve and and sort of develop, and we like to see how they get from point A to point B. Right. And by the end of the book, we see how he gets to point C, but it's sort of an incomplete an incomplete sort of transformation, and it's not even a you know it's not even a full transformation. You could say it simply is shifting a little bit his right. kind of like right. ideas and thoughts. So we get to see you know in a traditional narrative, we we meet character of point A their troubles or whatever they have to overcome puts them at point B and how they resolve that or deal with that or how they don't resolve it or don't deal with it and how it affects them, we get to point C and we right. kind of get this, we get this sort of complete picture of our character. You feel like you, uh, can relate on a higher level because you see that transformation and you can, you can relate to that, but we get that sort of incomplete look at a character and it does kind of feel on the surface unsatisfying because we, we get dropped into this character or there's nothing really in there that, that would tie you to this person unless you already came into this book sort of sharing this philosophical idea with him, in which case right, you're going, right. oh, this guy
1: gets it. You yeah, know, this, yep. <laughs> this is all pointless.
0: Uh, but I would imagine that the majority of people don't share that exact same worldview. And so kind of jumping into this character, feeling that, and then seeing them have sort of a somewhat adjustment or shift at the end, it just doesn't feel like we're ever given this this sort of actual characterization of a human being we just yeah it's it's more like he's just sort of a vehicle for this philosophical idea yeah and i wonder you know how much of
1: it is is that exactly that that he just wants to illustrate in a less um conceptual way you know these these philosophical ideas uh but i also wondered if maybe it was sort of a cautionary tale of espousing these beliefs and and exclusively like living in those those tranches yeah uh because the guy the guy murders somebody for you know no no reason whatsoever right yeah um and um so i you know i i don't know i don't know his other writing or or you know really even the breadth of of his uh his philosophical beliefs but one has to assume that you know there are, there are dangers to, uh, to entrenching yourself too much in any belief, in, in my opinion, I, whether, right. whether that's, you know, uh, a, a religion, uh, education, like w- whatever it is, like there, there are perils to never expanding, you know, your, your worldview and, and, uh, your thoughts. So, um, I, I kind of wonder if, if that was intentional or if that's something that, you know, maybe we've just are, I've added to, you know, my, my reading of it, but, Mm -hmm. um, did you, did you ever look at it as a a sort of parable of sorts of, you know, that it, it probably does value us to, uh, or benefit us to value life and to value, uh, certain ideas,
0: uh, to some extent, but again, it, it, that's, this never at any point after reading it struck me as kind of that sort of lesson to take from it. It, it, it's almost as if the book itself kind of mirrors the sort of absurdist idea that there's no there is no gigantic meaning to to what we're doing and and to kind of even transfer that onto the art that we create that there's no there's no real, you know,, ah, this is the meaning, this is what I'm supposed to take from this. and this is kind of the learning point of that. It's right. more just sort of an examination of the true, sort of absurdity that that exists there and that kind of like un the the universe does not you know the the universe does not have justice and kind of the the human representation of that that you see in this book because yes he committed a crime but the the way with which he is prosecuted in a sense of sort of breaking down his character for for things that seemingly have nothing to do uh with the the crime in and of itself it's it you know it kind of Distorts that human idea of justice versus the the realization that there is no such thing kind of as universal justice. So, no, I, I I didn't really see it as as a parable or as sort of a story to learn from. That it just seemed to me like it was again a an extension of this of this philosophical idea. Just you know, here is a story, and I am going to kind of insert this this character that that fills this role. Within this this philosophical idea, and how at odds it is with uh, sort of the world around him, because everyone else is somewhat, you know, the big thing in this book that's that's kind of the opposition to his worldview is is religion. You know, the right, judge calls right. him Monsieur Antichrist, and yeah. you know, you have the whole big uh, the big spat, if you will, with the with the chaplain at the end is is yep. kind of this this world that he lives in is so universally accepting of kind of the. This line of thinking and this line of belief and idea that it's it's almost in, incomprehensible. His sort of uh, detachment from that, or his acknowledgement of not believing that, or his you know firm, uh, his sort of firm demand that that he will not believe in that, and that yeah. you know, that's kind of just at odds with everything. So so much of this again from from a narrative standpoint, the book reads okay. Um, it did, it, I guess if it accomplished one thing as a reader to me, it, it, it made me more interested in, I guess, Camus philosophical beliefs, because I sure. knew that yeah. he was, you know, the first thing that I saw whenever I looked up or or looked around or did any research on him was he's a novelist and philosopher. So yeah. I was like, okay, that's an interesting combination yeah. because I feel like there's no way of, of separating the two. Uh, I feel like that, although I don't think that novelists that don't explicitly write, you know, philosophical writings on the side, I don't think that they're not essentially espousing a philosophy, but to have one so very immediately interconnected with exactly the sorts of things that he he was writing about was was interesting. So
1: yeah, so one of the things that you touched on was, you know, kind of the the relationships and like social expectations and and all of that, and so one one thing that 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 struck me was that it seemed like that first like magistrate that he had talked to, if he was like willing to confess, the implication was that uh you know he would let him off or let him off easier yeah. if you know he was willing to say he had sinned and you know all of that kind of stuff and uh, if he I, repented, yeah. So the the it's interesting to me, um, sort of this this idea throughout that uh he's held to a different um or he's trying to be held to other people's, you know, standards, right? And, you know, part of part of those were, you know, basic social norms and, you know, laws that were established don't don't fucking murder somebody. Sure. And uh You know, but then the sort of after effects of that were, you know, I will let you off if you believe what I believe. Um, You know, you he 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 didn't even in the trial, like claim self-defense at any point, which Mm. which I also thought was was strange and and something that I would assume that most people in that situation would have at least considered. Right. The Arab did have a knife on him. He did pull it out at one point that he was there. Um, you know, but he never, uh, even sort of tried to save himself. I mean, to the point of being, you know, appointed a public defender and being happy about it and, you know, going and talking to the, I think it was a second judge then, uh, without, uh, his counsel present. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so he's, he's constantly, you know, held to, to other people's standards. And I just, I thought it was, it was interesting to think about, how how should we handle somebody that espouses like vastly different worldviews, right like laws laws are one thing um you know but what sort of what sort of uh consideration should we get to people who have like extremist views like this mm-hmm. um and he you know had a group of friends um that uh seemed to accept him or at least tolerate him enough I mean he... Sh- Marie, had a fiance. To yeah. I mean, inexplicably. Yeah. Very inexplicably. Um, you know, but then when it came to sort of the more rigorous characters, um, in their, their moral beliefs, they just outright, you know, rejected his behavior unless he, he was going to change his view and agree with them. Yeah. And I, I, I just thought that was I, not, not a real question, but I just thought that was interesting that, um, there's sort of that juxtaposition between, you know, people in power and people in belief versus people who are maybe a bit more malleable, um, like Celeste, um, and certainly Raymond and, uh, Marie, although we don't really get too much of, of her as a person. It is, it is questionable, like her, um, motivation. Um, I mean, clearly this is, this is a guy who operates outside of like some social norms, Mm -hmm. um, to the point that you know he's even like, yeah, I don't, lo- I don't love you, but I'll marry you, I, you know, whatever. Um, and she's still like excited and and happy with
0: that. Yeah, female is, part's a little underwritten here. Albert, well, can- <laughs> well, we we don't get a lot of insight into why it is that Marie does the things that she does. Yeah. Um. But okay. So real, real question then. Real question. Um,
1: is it possible that that um he's he's not a philosopher and not not Camus, but uh the narrator um and that he's mentally ill i mean we get the episodes with with the sunlight uh you know migraines and and whatever um could could you make the argument that he is not of sound
0: mind maybe i mean i feel like given the current Like maybe in current times, if if a novel like this was written, that it would be more of an undercurrent of mental illness. Uh, But I don't think that in any way the author's intent in the story, and it didn't come off to me that that's kind of the case. It just, again, it just seems like it practicality or traditional or what you would expect from human interaction for character development doesn't necessarily take place. This is more just an example of the absurdist man, which I know that you kind of, and I know we both kind of characterized him as a nihilist sort of in that first section, but I don't think that's necessarily entirely true. The, yeah, The difference being because he does kind of, he does, dis, in in spite of sort of not really knowing the point or sort of agreeing that there's no real point to these things. He does enjoy right. the things, like he kind of enjoys the life around him. He's, sure, he's out, sure. he's eating and he's at the beach and he's, you know, going and seeing movies and kind of doing all these things that you would expect a nihilist to be like, well, what's the point? I'm kind yeah. of, I'm, there's nothing matters. I'm going to go sit in a closet and listen Fair point, to- absolutely fair. So, it, which I think, again, comes down to the very- Very minimum, or not minimum, but very small amount of extracurricular looking into Camus' philosophical beliefs, the the kind of difference between the the absurdist and the nihilist, and you know, I think one of the things is that you know the nihilist and the absurdist they both kind of understand that there is no, or at least there is no inherent kind of meaning to life, or there there's no explicit meaning, and that. Uh, that essentially, that's kind of what you're confronted with. And whereas the nihilist will go, sort of at that point, the question is, well, then what's the point of life? Because that's the big question. Is then, well, why go on living, or why not just, you know, commit suicide, or why, right, you know, right. why endure whatever suffering and and other sort of uh, negatives come with the human condition? Whereas the absurdist is kind of like, there is no meaning, but you still strive to enjoy the things along the way that you kind of like crop up together with that.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's define that and I'll just go straight to Wikipedia for for that. So um, the absurd refers to the conflict between the human tendency to seek inherent value and meaning in life and the inability to find uh, any in the purposeless, meaningless and chaotic uh, or chaotic and irrational universe. Uh, the universe and the human mind do not each separately cause the absurd, but rather the absurd arises by the contradictory nature of the two existing simultaneously. Uh, the absurdist philosopher Albert Camus stated that individuals should embrace the absurd condition of human existence while also defiantly continuing to explore and search for meaning. So clearly he he values the um uh, the counterpoint to the the fact that uh, this contradiction, you know, exists. Yeah. But also I would I would almost argue, you know, and, and this is this is sort of my thought on on kind of a lot of these philosophical ideas, right, is that um the fact that we are and that we do, you know, we give order to the universe in, even if it's just our corner of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we have created value and meaning, uh, you know, through money, through, uh, you know, the, uh, exploration of like human emotion and, and those sort of things. And so I think that, you know, while these, these concepts are really interesting, I think philosophy, um, ends up just being sort of Hollow, in a sense that you know, it it is not uh, the kind of science that you know you can you can draw up equations for and you know wrap your your head around literally like a a concept that is concrete and finite, like physics or biology or chemistry or or whatever. And I, I think it makes for for great conversation and you know great exploration of the human mind. Uh, because frankly, philosophy is only in the human mind. It does mm-hmm. not exist outside of ourselves. Um, but there's always these caveats you know to to things which I, I find interesting and, and to me sort of diminishes the the overall value of overly investing in some of
0: these concepts. Yeah. I mean, I you know philosophy is interesting, especially when you're I guess looking at the things like to the, the absurd. Because, you know, kind of at the core, I guess the core tenet of philosophy outside of, you know, when you're talking about subsets of philosophy like ethics and morality and things like that, I guess the core overall belief is just sort of like to understand the meaning behind uh, not necessarily just human interaction, but human emotions, human life. Right. uh, Humanity in general. And yeah, it's tough when you're confronted with the idea of well, what is the meaning behind this? And I was I remember hearing that it was kind of the the ultimate question, um, you know, with with philosophy is kind of around whether or not you know you should kill yourself because you know whether or not you can, uh, I guess, elicit meaning from something. Because if 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 life in and of itself is truly meaningless, then what is the point? In living, right? And so you kind of have the the idea of physical suicide and killing yourself that, or the idea of philosophical suicide, where you kind of reach the point where, you know, okay, if, you know, instead of always trying to be inquisitive, always trying to figure out and understand if there is any underlying meaning or trying to work every day to understand that meaning, instead you kind of accept sort of a ready-made belief system for that. And that's not entirely just religious that could be secular as well, whether right. it's kind of ideology or just sort of your political beliefs or your sort of societal beliefs that kind of create that meaning that otherwise, you know, isn't necessarily without meaning, but it's it's something that you you sort of placate yourself instead of going, you know, always trying to inquire what the meaning, what your purpose is, what the purpose of any of this is, instead of just saying, okay, well, the purpose is this because you know, we were we were created by a being to fulfill this spiritual purpose, uh, or to become closer for this, or to reach enlightenment, or because, you know, we're beings that are constantly reincarnated in this soul, you know, whatever your religious or, you know, maybe you thought, okay, well, it's as a society, you know, we have to strive to create this in-game goal, and that's kind of the, the purpose and meaning behind everything, and, you know, that, is an interesting idea because I, I don't think I don't think that fully sort of like buying into uh into like an explanation for, for people's existence is is a very natural thing. I feel like human beings, regardless mm. of how much they believe in one thing or the other, are skeptical people and sure. in the back of their mind are, are kind of always inquiring about these things, They're always inquisitive. But um I think that the idea of I don't know, the idea of comfort versus the idea of knowledge is always that kind of counterplay there. Like the idea right. of allowing yourself to accept sort of the comfort of of a belief because of the fear of not knowing an answer or not truly understanding you know what your purpose is or what your meaning is that that that's a tough that's sort of a tough line to walk.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think therein lies the benefit of, of religion, whatever, whatever that is, is because it, it gives structure, um, you know, it gives the, the, the social code that, that people um, should live by, you know, depending on, (laughs) I guess, uh, a lot of different factors, but um, it also does provide some some level of comfort, not only in you know, say death. I mean, almost every major religion addresses. I can't actually. I cannot think of a single religion that does not address death in in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um. But it. But it also uh, allows you to, um, to sort of bypass the uh, thought that we are alone, that we are random, that you know. Uh, Human existence is nothing more than just the random chance of, you know, molecules, uh, atoms coming together over, you know, billions and billions and billions of years and all these weird things that we don't understand and will never understand in any of our lifetimes. And that thought is alarming when you think about, you know, just the
0: uh, infinite amount of things that we don't know, we'll never know. Yeah, just the level of insignificance when you kind of yeah. look, or you try to think on a, I guess a more infant, infant, infinite scale, right? Of of kind of the the existence, not of like your life or the life of the people around you or the life of, you know, your state and country, world or whatever, but life, just the existence of everything and and how finite and and small and insignificant things are it's yeah it's terrifying
1: yeah and religion compartmentalizes us into something that is important something that has a purpose that you know we then don't have to sort of discover on our own through you know more complicated means or live our lives in sort of a tetherless kind of you know way Um, which, you know, I, I think is, is fascinating, you know, that to, to think about, um, you know, like I'm, I'm not religious anymore. Um, and you know, I think about those things a lot more now than, than I used to. And, uh, it is alarming to, to think that, um, you know, at least I believe when you die, nothing, like you're just gone, that's it. Like, uh, and, and on, on one hand, Um, sort of similar to, to our character at the end, um, there is an inevitability about it that I'm comfortable with. Um, but also it is, it is alarming to think that we don't matter and religion does tell you that people matter and that, you know, uh, being alive matters and, you know, how you spend your time and all that, all those kind of things. And not that I don't value, you know, any, any of that. I think how we spend our time and relationships and all that stuff are important, um, but there there is uh a, there's a lot more possibility when you don't have that like box of religion
0: sort of, you know, comforting you. Um sure. which is is interesting. I don't know. To me the thing about uh, about religion, I've I've never been a a deeply religious person. Um but the one thing that has always struck me is very important about religion outside of the the however people view, you know, their own experiences with it or their own experiences with individuals within various religions is it allows you to sort of organize into this sort of structural support system. Because I think one of the most important things for human beings is to have a to have a network of support, to have people that are there for sure. you, to have people to communicate with, to have people to express ideas with, to have people that you feel connected to, attached to on more than just a circumstantial level, like, oh, it's my neighbor, or oh, it's my kids, you know, it's my kid's parent, or right. it's this person I work with. Like it's kind of your circumstance has tied you with these people. Whereas right. religion allows you not only that 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 level of sort of understanding, whatever it is, the belief system and and however that affects you Morally or how you live your life or, you know, the way that you view um, human beings and potentially the afterlife, it creates a it creates a network of people that you can you can truly sort of have a connection with beyond just circumstantial things. And I think that that's one of the biggest things for. For non-religious people that I've seen too, that I think is lacking in in some in some of, uh, well, I guess I'll associate myself in our lives because we don't have that sort of ready-made support network. And right. I know some people who are a little bit more, I guess, callous. Uh, would say well you know it's it's all superficial because everyone just kind of like believes in something but right. no on honest to god there are genuine people you know within these groups that you create this 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 overall well-being and it's really really important that people have those type of support networks and it's you know outside of outside of religion as human beings who are, who are non-religious we don't necessarily have that same sort of structural thing and yeah. i think that's why at least, I don't know, at, at least the impression of non religious people is that they are more cold and distant and callous, and that we don't naturally have that sort of, you know, well, you don't believe in anything, right? You don't believe right, in any of that, and you know, that is the one thing I, I wish existed on a higher level. And I know that there are people that sort of associate in their non religion, um, but I feel like those type of associations are more just sort of like contradictory and less like about themselves more just like can you believe this or that or this religion's doing this or this this?" and that to me is like a support network that isn't necessarily fostering like a beneficial effect for the people within it
1: yeah so i i i certainly think that there's there's something there i i think that there uh you know you get into like hostile atheism and and that sort of stuff and and yeah people do sort of
0: Again, not that religion is without its uh its sort of support networks that support in the wrong way. No. But but I also have a friend uh who's
1: a human a humanist. Humanist. I don't know where that Humane. word came from. A humanist and uh you know, they, they have basically like a, a humanist like congregation and they, you know, go out and do community service stuff and they get sure. together and you know, do certain things. So, th- there and and we he and I have talked extensively about you know his his set of beliefs sure. and and uh, and all of that and his community and stuff. And um, you know, so I, I do think that there are also healthy you know alternatives uh, there are to to that as well. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I mean, I think part of human existence is defined by the need to belong right Absolutely. uh and whether that's physical appearance religious belief uh just uh political belief uh you know families uh i mean you, you see it with people who live in texas you, you know or the south you know are supposed to be polite and you know yes ma'am no sir you know those those sort of things um you know so you, you have all of these these different ideals that um, we all try to espouse based on all of these these different things. And I, I think it's just a condition of being human, is that you have to sort of find your tribe in in whatever that is. And I think the important part about it, and for me, it's sort of the cautionary tale of, of this is that uh or this book is that y- you have to also do that within the confines of just you know general like decency, sure. right? And uh obviously uh our narrator didn't do that very much to his own detriment right mm-hmm. um i would argue even though he says at the end of the book that uh he'd always been happy and he is happy that was in the you know last very last uh paragraph um you can't help but wonder if he wouldn't have been more happy if he had been more engaged with his his emotions right mm-hmm. would he would he have felt uh more fulfilled if um, he had a better relationship with his mother and, you know, to the point where he felt anything at all uh, when when she died. Um, same thing with Marie, right? Here is somebody willing to give their life over to you uh, and attach themselves to you forever and ever, uh, or at least f- forever you're alive. Foreseeable. Future. And uh, and you're willing to do that, but uh, completely like emotionally unattached. Yeah. And, you know, just uh, on a personal level, I, I value relationships so much that I, I couldn't imagine um, not sort of pandering to my own desire for uh, exploring emotions, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I had a question, but... It's fine. I it, feel like we've
0: gone off the rails here a little we've, bit. We've and always gone off the rails. And go so, ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and yeah, I understand from, a, from, I guess, a more secular standpoint because even even just outside the sort of belief and non-belief standpoint, there's there's plenty of room for secular support groups based on interests, based mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, experiences, based on, as, as strange as it is, proximity. But um, I think the biggest thing is is that regardless of your sort of philosophical beliefs, whether you kind of buy into the idea of of nihilism or, or absurdism or anything like that, that you even see it in the book, that you cannot and and will not operate, uh, I guess, in an isolated manner. Now, we do, yeah. again, we see that there are things within our, our protagonist that we could have had, you know, had he been a little bit more connected to the idea of the sort of power of, I guess, of community, of, right, of, right. of sort of, Integrating yourself into that rather than just sort of questioning the point, or you know, not everything. I mean, that's that to me is another just idea within itself that that is somewhat absurd is that, well, you know, since there is no explicit point to our existence, that we should essentially just kind of live and take in, you know, whatever moments you know, we get and, and just sort of like live in the face of the fact that, you know, there's no point. But the reality is, is although there may not be, there not, there may not be some sort of grand established purpose for you or for the human species or for, you know, everyone that's exists or will ever exist or has ever exist. If everything within itself is universally just sort of coincidental, things happen there's no there's no reason, rhyme or reason. There's no good force behind the things that exist. We've kind of evolved to the point where you can, at least on a very small microscopic level, find purpose behind the things that you're doing. And, and mm-hmm. to lose sight of that or to um, not sort of embrace that idea, to me, is kind of the more sad thing because I don't necessarily need a grand purpose for my life. Um, but there are tasks that are in front of me that have purpose, that affect other people, that, you know, do affect lives and do right. lead to positive outcomes. And that, to me, is enough purpose on a day-to-day basis to to sort of live a life in accordance to that, to live a life sort of working towards these things. I don't need a big purpose in life. I need, uh, I need something to do. I need something to influence um, because I think that that, in and of itself, you you will find purpose in that. And and maybe not just sort of like, well, I was made for this, or this is the whole reason behind my life, but it's like, you know, I'm here in this moment right now, and this opportunity is in front of me, or this circumstance is in front of me, or this situation is in front of me, or this person is in front of me, and I can act in a way to influence this, and I I should do that, because that is my purpose in this given moment, to right. act in a way that will influence it, hopefully positively, um, because yeah. I don't think <laughs> that anyone's purpose in life should be to act in a way that would negatively influence others or or just create sort of a negative influence in general so you know it's it's that's i guess on a more personal level sure yeah what my philosophical belief structure is with that i i mean i I agree a hundred percent
1: and so one one last thing that that i I wanted to to talk about was um Uh, And help me think through here, but I would make the argument that this narrator is the most unreliable narrator that we have had of any book that we've read just based on circumstance and his code of conduct and beliefs. I
0: think even above those, just because of the detachment uh, from the people around him, that his interpretation of the things that are happening yeah, I mean, you can't rely on that being true to what people are thinking, saying, feeling, acting, because he is so detached from them that they're kind of just sort of like wisps as they as they pass by him, as right. he's kind of more concerned about how bright it is outside or, you know, how tired or hungry he is, you know, more sort of basic uh, human, human needs, needs yeah. or human observations. He doesn't really take in any time to genuinely observe what the people around him are doing so yeah absolutely i would say that he 100 percent could be our least reliable narrator yeah i just i i keep going back to
1: the the fact that again until really the end um when he's in prison he is devoid of emotion Mm -hmm. i mean there's just there's never a point where you know he even approaches sort of Uh, an understanding of his own feelings outside of what you just described. And that's just not, uh, that's not a human quality, right? right? I mean, if you just take in the breadth of, you know, possible things that, you know, people could be born with, experience that would lead them to, Having t- disassociative personalities or whatever, there there are still emotions that you know that people feel, and to to not recognize any of those you know throughout or to not communicate those, um, I think you know very clearly shows that the narrator, uh, either, well, the narrator must have intentionally you know not disclosed those things, and to what end? You yeah, know? so. Yeah, that was that was the other thing I got to the end, and plus he's—I mean—he's not dead uh, at the end, but he's—he's he's going to die so, almost certainly. You yeah. know, based on his on his beliefs throughout, why is he writing this in the first place? Who's he writing it to? You know, yeah, it just doesn't seem like uh something. It it's introspective in in the sense that it chronicles a, a series of events to, you know, his his sort of last moments. Uh, but it that doesn't really jibe with the rest of what's happened and what he has described to us yeah so
0: all right any parting thoughts i got none i i feel like we i feel like we got a good little bit of uh of uh meta philosophical musing on this one maybe a little too much who knows Eh, who knows let's get into ratings this is my book so i'll go first do it um i'm gonna keep it but i am gonna put it on the bottom shelf uh, an interesting enough read, and it's not really something that I would reread. If anything, I would go and read kind of more tangentially philosophical musings by Camus. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not a universal recommendation. It's a book that I could recommend for, I guess, more philosophically-minded people that I know that would be sure. interested in kind of that, or at least have sort of a, a tertiary knowledge of, of nihilism or just philosophical musings in and of themselves. So you know not really not really a narrative in and of itself that's that's all that great it kind of just stands like we said it's just sort of stands kind of propped up by that philosophical background and and it did do the job i guess in that sense of interesting me enough that i'm going to look elsewhere for more i guess enlightenment on this yeah so for that reason alone i'll keep it but yeah it's going to go on the bottom shelf for me yeah
1: i i flirted with with donating it but my uh, the the reason that I'm gonna put it on my bottom shelf is exactly the fact that it it fostered conversation, and uh and thought right And any book that I think makes makes me think about something that is outside of sort of my normal like train of thought I think is is worth having yeah uh but yeah same thing like if my wife asked me for a book which she never does by the way yeah. which
0: is weird. Only host a book podcast yeah, here. And she's she's got almost her, forty episodes deep. Yeah, Jeez. she's
1: she's got her own thing. But uh but yeah, I, I wouldn't go give the, give her this book. Uh I just I I don't think she'd she'd be interested in it. I don't know too many people that, that would, but yeah it's I feel like it's something that I might pick up, you know, and have another read on a on a rainy day or something just to see what I missed. And, it's quick enough read. Yeah, for sure. So all right. Will we ever break consensus on our uh, on our shelves again? It's been a while. It I'm has trying to been think. What was while. the
0: last book that we were we were different on? Uh, I mean, like vastly different. Before? Well, it, yeah. I mean, at least I, I feel like I feel like we've been kind of in the same shelf for a while. We haven't yeah. been like different shelves. I'm trying to think of the last book, perhaps. I'd have to go we're back. Just, and... We're just our brains are syncing up. You know what I think it was big sleep. I think I was a lot higher on that book yeah. than you were. Yeah. You were you were not on that book. I, I was not. a little bit higher. And I'm trying to think since then we've had a pretty good slew of books. Yeah. I know it was a little rocky beloved was not one that we were either too terribly high no, on. No, but we we hated that one equally. Yeah. Um the Kristen rapinian collection, I think we were kind of we were in different spots on that too. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah. Interesting. So, we're gonna <laughs> We're going to go for Not that our, we're trying to like oh man I know he's going to hate this book so I'm going to recommend it. it not would, that we're not that we're trying. And we're certainly not though. trying to just like parrot each other's uh, uh each other's sort of ratings, but it's just it's managed to work out that way. I feel like it is. I feel like we have a tendency to come into these things somewhat apart and then over the course of the episode we both kind of drift towards each other and we just kind of like end up end up very much in the same sort of mindset about these things. And well, so I think, I think that that is, that's an important part about talking about books, right?
1: Is that um, if you read things in a vacuum, yeah. you walk away with a certain impression of your opinions. Yeah. Or your thoughts on it. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I, I value the podcast so much is that, you know, we can come in with, with different ideas and, you know, you do a lot more research and so you have some context that, that I don't, and I read things You know, in a different way than than you do, and so you know, there there is kind of this uh, this sort of like sharing of of ideas, which is the whole freaking reason that we started this in the first place was to get there. So I'm I'm not mad at it, but it is it is kind of ironic. So the streak continues. We'll see if we can uh, if we can if we unintentionally yeah Yeah. see if we can break that streak somehow. Uh, But
0: we're gonna go from philosophical to. Post-apocalyptic. Yeah. World I mean, War Three, nuclear fallout, submarine captain going and hunting down some lost survivors. I mean, this sounds like as much of a departure from book to book as we could possibly get, and I'm yes. I'm here for it. All right. So next book is going to be
1: On the Beach by Neville Shute. Uh Yeah. It's exactly what
0: you just described, and uh, hopefully it's good. This, I'm excited. I mean, this is a big departure. Not that we, again, I feel like at this point we've read... About as many genres as we can, except perhaps you know, erotic fiction or romance. But we I haven't read if,
1: any horror. We
0: I guess we haven't read any like straight like, horror.
1: We haven't read any any like mystery stuff.
0: So I mean, there's some We're genre kind of fiction, like true I, All right. Well, maybe we maybe that's what the goal can be towards the end of the year to delve a little bit more into genre. We haven't read any like epic fantasy. Yeah. So I um, guess I guess that's true, but this certainly is is a departure subject matter wise from. Anything that recent. I recent, yeah, remember reading recently, so I'm excited for that.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be good. So that is, that is going to be uh, episode thirty. No, forty. 40. That's forty. Four O. Man, so we got to start planning a big episode five O. I feel like that's going to be either an epic book or a, a completely random episode. I don't know. We need to we'll help say, with something that's super we'll special. Sa- for that's what we'll save 50. Infinite
0: Jest for. It'll take us 3 months to release the episode. Yeah, uh, but we'll get it out there. <laughs> we sh- we should do that next time I move so so yeah. I have ample time. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be on episode 40 and episode 41 after that is my pick which I haven't zeroed in on yet. So okay. I'll know I'll know before we record our next episode. So we'll have that up on the SoundCloud page, and up on yeah. Twitter and all the the usual uh, happenings for information for us, but yeah, I'm yeah. excited about episode 40.
1: Yeah. So if you want to hit us up for book recommendations, uh, strike up conversation, uh, any of that sort of stuff, hit us up on Twitter at Better Bookshelf. And we hope to see you next episode for On the Beach. Thank you for listening. And until next time.